Kia ora and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name's Pip Adam and um, thank you for listening to this episode which is a spoiler episode for the book The New Animals which um, has my name on the cover but I think is only a book because of lots of very amazing people. Um, yeah, which I talk about in the acknowledgement section because I'm scared that if I start talking about them now I'll forget people. But in particular Victoria University Press, um, yeah, Ashley Young made it a better book. Holly Hunter gave it a title, Kirsten McDougall asked some questions which made me um, change and move around some things, Fergus Barrowman gave amazing input, um, Craig Gamble was incredible, Kylie was incredible, yeah I don't know, anyway did I miss anyone, sorry Victoria University Press but yeah so yeah they did that, um, my partner Brent McIntyre um, copy edited it before I sent it to Fergus and I'm very grateful for that and read it. And yeah, there are just so many people. Anyway, read the acknowledgement section because I've probably missed a million people. So yeah, um, so that's that's long-winded, isn't it? Um, but yeah, so there are spoilers in here. Thank you very much to everyone who sent in questions. I really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, um, yeah, like I say, there are spoilers. Maybe you're someone who likes to know what happens in the end of a book before you start reading it. This is the episode for you. Maybe you are someone who wants to read a book without knowing anything about it. This is not the episode for you. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of spoilers in here. So, um, yeah, listen if you like. And if you don't like, you can go and listen to another podcast because there are heaps of really awesome podcasts. Um, Between the Covers is one, David Nyman very good Simon Sweetman's podcast also very good so yeah um thank you very much and thank you for reading the book and thank you for listening to this and have an awesome day thanks right okay um yes this is weird um I'm sitting by myself um and I'm going to answer these questions and I should have probably got someone to help out that might have made it slightly more interesting sorry um but yeah um before I start answering the questions I just want to say thank you to everyone that sent in the questions um I haven't kept the names of the people who asked the questions just because there are a couple of questions that I've kind of combined several questions into one question because there were some reoccurring themes um yeah and also I also just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who read the book um yeah that means heaps you know sort of I don't know it's a weird job isn't it um you sort of toil away or not toil that makes it sound hard selling shoes is hard I did that one Christmas but yeah um but yeah I'm really grateful and it's really been a wonderful year and thank you so much for making it that way okay I'm gonna start with I think I'm gonna start with Doug lots of people asking about Doug the dog um and I think the way that I've posed this question, which I think um, sort of shows the general um, way about it, is that um, someone said, I'm so scared of what happened to Doug. I was always wishing Doug to succeed or at least to get outside. And um, someone said, oh, this is actually from Victoria University Press. Um, we, are, we here always assumed the worst for Doug. Okay, so, hmm, um... The whole thing with Doug started because um, years ago someone told me this and I'm not even sure it's true, that dogs um, will actually die of exhaustion by just running around if you keep them playing with a ball or if you keep entertaining them they'll keep going and um, that um, sort of stuck in my head, I'm not sure if that's true. 
Um, and then I had a friend who had a dog follow them out once um, while they were kayaking and um, that seemed terrifying. And also, um, yeah, I, I, this is unrelated, I guess, but it's a thought in my head is we had a friend who had a very large dog in Christchurch and um, it was like a um, St. Bernard or something huge like that. And every time the kids used to go swimming, the dog would come in and rescue them. So he was a really difficult dog to take to the beach because he would just keep trying to rescue people. And um, this idea of dogs and water was really interesting to me. And... Um, I don't know what happened to Doug. Um, I, I'm suspect in my head as I was writing it, Doug dies, but um, Elodie never looks back. So um, I guess the fact that maybe Doug, maybe she made it to the shore and she lived a very happy life. Um, maybe that's possible. Um, I guess one of the big things for me in that part of the um, book was that I needed for Doug to become free and wild. Ah, free and wild, I think. I think that's what I was thinking. Um, yeah, a lot of people um, have said to me um, they you know, that Doug was the best part of the book, and I totally agree, um, well, I mean, I don't know if I totally agree, I agree right now saying this here, um, but yeah, she, she was an important dog, um, I think I've said this before, but at the beginning, um, the dog in the book was a different type of dog, the dog was a, um, yeah, the dog was a, was a dying dog, um, but then, um, we got a new dog, and our dog is very, vicious um it's tiny but it just does not play well and I suddenly thought geez you know like being around this animal it has really made me realize that these are wolves you know and just this idea that we live with these wild animals I mean I know they've been domesticated over years um but just yeah it was really interesting to me so um I guess the answer is I'm not quite sure what happens to Doug but um I think because Elodie looks back, I think all possibilities, every there's a possible reading for everything um, with Doug. And um, yeah, maybe um, maybe someone would like to write Doug the sequel. Haha. <laughs> um, oh, also, I think I do owe someone um, for that name as well, because I do have a friend who has a female dog who is called Doug, but it's about D-U-G, like the dog that Doug. So yeah, um, yeah, I think I owe someone that. Sorry. So yeah, here's one. So does Elodie physically change as she swims? I read it as she does, but might be wrong. Okay, um, yeah, I think that this question gets to the whole crux of what interested me about the book. Um, I'm very interested in this idea of um, one life adaptation. I just made that up, I don't think that's a term. <laughs> but just this idea that a body can change markedly even in one lifetime you know like I'm very interested in Darwinism um, I've had to have evolution explained to me several times because I'm a little bit slow but I'm very interested in this idea that our surroundings will um, sort of will, will change us physically I'm very interested in that idea and I guess I'm interested in um, things like um, yeah, when I was a kid, I used to play tennis and I was obsessed with tennis and I used to love watching tennis. And in the olden days, when I was a kid, the tennis player, you'd often get tennis players with one arm bigger than the other. And um, I was just like, whoa, you know, and just the idea that there was the possibility of working in such a way that your body would change, that really interested me. Um, I, 
also you know like and that goes on to things like scars and um you know like um calluses and just everything like that really interested me and um I did a lot of reading about what happens to human bodies in water, especially seawater, and one of the things I think which was a real changing point for me was that I got to touch a stingray, it was in captivity, it was a horrible place, but um, I got to touch a stingray and I started reading a lot about this mucus layer that animals in the sea often have, so they have like a slippery slimy layer on the top, and I started thinking about how in the water, um, one of the biggest problems to surviving in the water is that the skin starts to deteriorate and open up and I just thought actually that skin opening up makes us slimy and I suddenly thought oh you know maybe we're like the Incredible Hulk or we're like some kind of werewolf and we're actually all the things that we read as bad in the water are actually helping us to become um, more uh, you know actually more fitted for the water so I I got very interested in that um, ideas of um, you know like eyesight becomes tricky in the water and maybe that's because eyesight isn't the best um, sense for the water so yeah it it was all that sort of thing that started me thinking so in my mind ality does change and there's a little bit of that in the book which is kind of lame but um, people often talk that there's points in the book where Carla's feet are described um, that you know they're a bit of a problem and I imagine that that was from spending long times not standing on the earth you know spending long times kicking and she um Carla also has very bad eyesight so I sort sort of thought there were kind of hints into that as well that um and I think there's at one point I talk about Carla having very bad skin as well so in a way those are ambiguous problems to have um and could be just caused by other things but I just yeah just that sort of idea that bodies change and can't go back perhaps by this experience so yeah in my mind ality changes quite dramatically in the water and that was probably the thing that I wrote the rest of the book so that I could write about yeah um that's not a good way to carry on um yeah so I think yeah hopefully that describes that okay someone said oh this I think this is Kirsten McDougall um from VUP um does ality come back ever if she does come back, how does she survive at the place she was at? Avoiding spoilers in this question. Does Carla know where Elodie has gone? Mm, good questions. Um, strangely, um, I've, I've alluded to this and been real cagey about it because I'm, you know, I don't know. I want people to think I'm a woman of mystery. But um, there is one image which... Um, is kind of the spark of this book which is the image of um, a woman coming out of the water down sort of by the viaduct in Auckland naked and then walking up a relatively barren sort of Queen Street and in my head that was always Carla not Allardy. Um I you know at the and then when the shift happened oh this is starting to answer other questions but what happened was at the beginning of the book for a long time the book was about Carla was about Carla going to see Carla goes to see Carla goes to see Carla goes to see and then there was this strange kind of ality character which was just she was just there so there could be representation of um you know um some interesting you know another interesting person and then all of a sudden I was just writing and I thought it's not Carla that goes to see it all it's ality <laughs> and then um then just this idea that maybe Elodie had got the idea to go away from Carla, that Carla had discovered some kind of Shangri-La, some kind of way of surviving, um, sort of 
the end of the planet. So um, I don't think Elodie comes back. In my head, I'm pretty sure she doesn't come back. Um, I haven't even thought about what Carla thinks about where Elodie goes. In my mind, Carla has not gone to sea. Um, in my mind, that is a misunderstanding from Elodie. Elodie, um, you know, like has somehow decided has a thought and is trying to bring everything to um what's the word I'm looking for there's a deep belief and Elodie is trying to collect evidence to sort of work towards that belief in my mind Carla was away somewhere else um in the early iterations of this book like um gosh 2007 2006 sort of quite early on um I used to joke about how it was my Hare Krishna mermaid book and um yeah, there was a lot more to do with um, Hare Krishna consciousness in this. And I guess that is where I think Carla was. But I had this dream that I wanted it to be ambiguous. Um, like Honestly, my reading doesn't mean anything like more than anyone else's reading of the book. The book does not belong to me. It belongs to you. But um, in my brain, Carla is there. Um, one of, um, yeah, I just, I love ambiguity. I love ambiguity so much. I love that horrible twisted feeling where you're like, is the person for real? Is the person not for real? Um, and yeah, I, I just love that stuff so much. And um, yeah, so I guess I was trying to have my cake and eat it. But that's okay. Like, I mean, isn't that the great thing about writing? Like, I'm writing a book that I think I'm writing and then other people get to read that book and they get to um, decide what their idea of the book is. And that is the way it should be. The reader is the writer. Um, I might go to this one now. Um, someone asked about why, well, there are a couple of questions similar to this, but this one sort of, you know, does it. Um, why did you choose the ocean as a as a place for the final third of the book? Okay, um, I've been thinking about this question a lot. Um, the last third of the book was the book I wanted to write. Like, really, I just wanted to write the last third of the book, and I feel like the front end of it is just the engine to try and get me to that place. Um, I am incredibly scared of the ocean. Um, I, um, as a kid, we spend a lot of time at the beach. Um, my father at some stage bought a secondhand sort of sailing dinghy. Like it was a really strange little, it was called a Delta dinghy. Um, so it was a proper, it was a proper dinghy, um, but it had like just this one single sail, almost like a pea glass or something. And, um, yeah, we would sail and we had a few very, we had a few hairy experiences in there, but I just, I liked being out on the water, but I was always quite frightened of it. Um, I think also, why else the ocean? Oh, also because, oh, I know, I remember now. Um, I love space opera, like I really love, um, I love yeah, I love space opera and um, I have never successfully been able to write something set in space or on another planet and then I remembered that thing about how we know so little about the ocean and someone said we know less about the ocean than we do about some planets and that excited me and I thought maybe this is a way for me to write um, a sort of alien encounter book, maybe this is a way for me to write a um, you know, sort of first steps on a new planet kind of book, maybe. And I'm, I've got to admit strongly, and I try to admit it as much as possible, that um, The Martian was a huge book that I read during this time, um, um, towards the end, obviously, because it came out towards the end. But, um, yeah, I was very interested in the way that book um, talked about um, new places and tried and used such good science. So, yeah, 
I don't know, did it use good science? I don't know enough about Mars. But I mean, um, I did talk to someone who had spoken to someone at NASA and said that they, it was pretty good. Um, so yeah, I think that was why the ocean, also just that idea that it, we're very unwelcome in the ocean. You know, our bodies do not work very well in the ocean. Um, yeah, that was exciting. Um, also, I think... Um, yeah, I think, yeah, that idea of our bodies not working in the ocean. And then, of course, okay, now it gets batshit. Um, I saw this incredible thing about how, you know, because we started in the ocean. I don't think that's incorrect. But fake news, sorry. Yeah, I just don't think that's incorrect. I think we started in the ocean. And someone said that there is this tiny little mark. This was on a documentary <laughs> No, I'm thinking maybe it was weird. But um, there's a tiny little mark in front of some people's ears. And like I used to see that a lot when I was hairdressing, just this tiny little mark. And for starters, I thought maybe it was like a chicken pox scar or something like that. But then I kept seeing it in exactly the same place. And someone said that maybe that is where our girls used to be. <laughs> like that, that's like vestigial, you know, like it's layover from being in the water. And I freaking love that. And there are other things in our bodies that are kind of layovers from being in the water. Like they, that we still have them even though we don't live in the water. And um, so, yeah, the ocean just, yeah, it, it excites me for all those reasons. So I was very excited about that. Um, right. Where am I? Where am I? Oh, 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 oh. Sorry. You shouldn't really sing, especially when you can't sing. Okay, here's a question, and I think it's from my friend Emma Hislop, who's a very good writer. Um, Oh, sorry. I just remembered I wasn't going to say who the questions were from, and now I have, and yeah, sorry everyone. I'm such an unprofessional person. Um, But yeah, I... um. This is, this is a question I'm interested in. Also, I'm kind of going to have to cut this around my dog barking. Um, My dog... Um, there's some people working across the street and my dog is trying to protect me from them and that seems ironic. Uh, my dog, very nervous, very grumpy, very looking out of windows and um, making a point. So yeah, I'm sorry for the jumpiness if there's any jumpiness. My dog is called Coco and um, yeah, I didn't name her. Um, anyway, here we go. So this question, the mood of the book is so loaded and tense. There's no respite until we see Elodie get in the water where the unraveling feels like a relief as well as horrifying. Was it hard to maintain the constant tension throughout the book? Everyone is under pressure. The stakes are high. How did you do it? Oh, good questions. Um, that's a really nice thing to say. I'm very glad that the unraveling feels like a relief as well as horrifying. That's I'm just basking in that for a minute. Um, yes, it was hard to maintain the tension throughout the book. Um, one thing that people have constantly said about my writing is that it is, I think the word is called peripatetic. Um, it's Sometimes it just feels like it's going and then and then and then and then. Um, I, I think a lot of my short stories are like that and I think... Even I'm working on a building can be a bit like that. And that is why the only tool I have in my toolkit is to add add a crisis or a problem. Um, and yeah, it's such a cheap trick. But sometimes the cheap tricks work. Like I mean, in working on a building, it was the earthquake. And in this, it is, you know, the, the shoot. You know, like, um, you know, getting Tommy to bring it forward. Um, which I don't think would ever happen. Um, I've got a cousin who works in the fashion industry and she, she was just like, huh? Um, yeah, but um, I just needed, well, I mean, and that's the great thing about writing, isn't it? You only need one person to do it once, you know, this whole idea of believability. Um, 
The other thing I really liked about this is it made me realise, and this is one of my favourite things about writing and reading, is that the stakes are high when the writer makes the stakes high. You know, like there are books when the big problem is, um, you know, I always think of, it's not a it's not a book, um, but um, Hanif Qureshi's um, London Kills Me, you know, the, the whole engine that drives that movie is that someone needs a new pair of shoes. And... Um, you know, I just really like this idea that the writer controls the stakes. The stakes do not have to be big by world terms or exterior terms. And, you know, this is one of my favorite things is, you know, this idea of um, making people care. Um, so, yeah, so the first few drafts, there was very little tension in it. Um, and I think that's an important thing that I like to say as well is that um, my first drafts are just terrible and um, I read something really good yesterday that said you can edit bad writing but you can't edit no writing and yeah I like that um, the whole idea of sort of writing the first draft is just to tell me the story and also um, yeah I just don't yeah I don't like the first draft I've got a friend who really likes writing you know like that creation mode and he often says you know I've got the wind in my hair and I'm just writing and yeah I hate that but I like editing and I like rewriting and I like like moving things around and that sort of thing I really like that sort of thing but um so yeah I think that's an important thing to say is that the first it had no tension and absolutely no tension and then that one sudden realization that if there's a time tension then that does bring everyone into tension um how did I do it so the introduction of that tension was the first thing the introduction of that sort of problem event um and then I think the pressure needs to be on the writing doesn't it you know like it just I just think tightening everything up I don't know gosh it's such a good question but I'm not sure how I did it um I just keep thinking, I think a lot about Dewey in respect to this because theoretically Dewey should have no tension on them whatsoever. They, they, they have removed themselves from this situation. So I sort of, um, yeah, there's that interesting thing where I still feel like Dewey has pressure on them. You know, like they still have that um, pressure and I think that the pressure that is on Dewey is that... Um, yeah, it's the, it's the it's the problem with Carla. You know, I think that's the pressure, you know, like how to be a good friend, you know, when you don't want to be a good friend or no, it's not, it's even more complicated than that. So, I think maybe it's about every being invested in each of the characters as a writer, you know, like caring about them. Um, you know, and um maybe it's something as simple as seeing what drives them. Maybe that's what it's about, like seeing what matters to them like spending time with them you know um I've never really gone into like writing character sheets I do have friends that write character sheets but um what I do which is even more embarrassing um you know like as a kid I was always pretending to be other people and what I tend to do here is just pretend to be other people um you know and that works well for me because um writing this book I didn't have a lot of time to just write this book and sit down and think about this book so I would sort of maybe take Elodie out for the day or I would take Tommy out for the day and I'd just try and embody Tommy and sort of think would Tommy care about that what would Tommy think about that and you know that's sort of I think getting inside these characters helps to bring tension as well it's an interesting thing isn't it like no one craft element is only doing its job I think 
you know, like character is not just doing character. Character is doing plot, you know, and um, plot is not just doing plot. Plot is often doing character and, you know, tone is not just doing tone. It's often doing, you know, other things as well. So, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I think the thing I'm most grateful for is that um, there's a great, I think, is it Carver? Uh, gosh, should have done research before I sat down. But um, there's a great essay on suspense, which I used a lot as well. Um, like all writing essays, it doesn't give you a quick, you know, like do X and you will get Y. But what it does do is um, sort of put those ideas in the head, you know, the ideas of suspense. I'm obsessed with plot. Um, I used to like to think I was a character writer. I used to like to think, oh, you know, character driven. But I just, I, f- I love a good story. I love a good story and I love a good twist. And um, yeah, I just love it. So um, yeah, that's the answer to that question. Um, I'm just going to go on to another craft question because I think while we're on a roll, let's stay on a roll. Um, so this one, um, um, I think it came through via Survey Monkey. Not sure. Anyway, it says... Um, You've talked publicly about writing the novel in short bursts between sending your child to school and going to work. Did you get extended chunks of time to focus on the novel? And if so, how did you have to change your working style and mindset, if at all, to make them productive? Oh, such a good question. Such a freaking good question. Um, okay. Um, it's one of the things I most regret saying. Um, like, um, that is how I wrote the book. Um, I had a fantastic um, talk with my friend Lawrence Fernley and I was complaining and saying, this book's never going to get written. And she was like, do you want to write it or do you want to complain about not writing it? I'm sure she didn't say it that meanly. But, um, and I just suddenly thought, what can I do? And what I could do was there were 15 minutes and I could usually get about 500 words down in 15 minutes. So I did used to use those times. What I think there is my motivation for saying that was that I feel sad that sometimes it feels like we only get books from people who are time rich, and um, that makes me sad. Um, and I thought maybe if I say that, there's a chance that there will be books from people who are not time rich. And um, but now I realize also, um, the way that I said it made it sound like just fucking you know I don't know like it just sounded like I was minimizing tiredness and I was minimizing the stress and I was minimizing yeah I was just you know being um a privileged dick which um I apologize for but um and I realize all this now because I'm narcissistic and I only understand things when they affect me um because I am now writing another book and this book will not be written in 15 minute chunks I have tried that and it is just impossible um it it, it is it is just impossible it just will not that is not the way this book can be written and what I realized is that um that's what happens you know the the way that a book is written often um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, predicts how that book is or, you know, limits how that book is. And um, so, yeah, this book, so all my freaking bravado about, you know, I wrote it in 15-minute chunks has just fallen away. And I realise now that, um, I don't know what I realise, I just realise that some works cannot be written that way. Yeah, I just called I just called my stupid thing a work, made it sound important. Um, but yeah, so um, I just want to say that for starters. Here's my dog again. Oh dear, just it's all right, Coco. It's okay. Um, 
but this other question about extended um, periods of time, um, I did plan to have a week of sort of tidying it up before I sent it to um, Fergus Barrowman at Victoria University Press. Like I had this idea that I'd have a week and then um, things happened and I did not have that week. So the final draft on it was probably done like sort of 13 hours on a Saturday and then maybe eight hours on a Sunday or something ridiculous like that. And, um, you know, I'm incredibly grateful to everyone in this house, even Coco, um, who, you know, made that possible for me to have those 12 hours in a row. Um, so yeah, I think it does take a change in mindset. Um, I realize now that that also the other interesting thing about those 15 minutes is that it is an incredible, um, I I cannot believe, like with this n- new thing that I'm writing where I'm needing to spend five or six hours a day on it, um, I can't believe the fucking insecurity that comes in. Like I just, you know, I, I don't think I've ever felt worse about myself than um, writing this thing. And I just, I cannot believe how tough it is, how hard it is to sit down and write for like four hours and, and just the, oh my God, the emotional roller coaster, like of knowing you know like trying to balance all these factors and yeah it's so much harder work than I thought it would be and I think that those 15 minute chunks and I think the way that I've been writing for the last few years which has been um work really hard and you know like paid work is um I am not good at internal motivation and I think that paid work gives me external motivation people say thank you for doing that or um, you know like here's some more work could you finish it by Friday and then if you don't finish it by Friday they're like where is our work and I just I think that I've been protecting myself for all these years you know like I just think I've just been like you know like I'm not really a writer I just do this for 15 minutes every morning and um, yeah that adjustment has been un yeah I was gonna I was gonna be dramatic sorry it's not that hard I it's not as hard as hairdressing Um, but yeah, I think it's been an interesting thing to learn about myself. And um, it sounds so self-indulgent now, but it really is a mind fuck. And um, yeah, anyway, maybe it isn't for anyone else. Maybe Martin Amos just is sitting there hanging out doing his thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with this new thing. Um, I feel scarily overwhelmed by it. But yes, I always think about Eleanor Catton. Um, I love, I remember reading an interview where she said she wasn't sure she could write um, the luminaries until she sent send on the manuscript. And yeah, I hold on to that and am eternally grateful to her as always. Okay. Oh yeah, my friend, um, my friend Elliot wrote this funny one. He said, what's it about, lol? <laughs> I like that question. Um, I don't know. Um, I keep saying, uh, what, okay, I'm going to say this, what unlocked it for me was, what unlocked it for me was when I realized it was about bodies. For ages, I'd thought it was about climate change, and I thought it was about, um, what else did I think it was about? Oh, I thought it was about politics, thought it was about capitalism, thought it was about, you know, pulling down the state, um, but then I realized what it was about is the fact that, um, I don't understand my body 
that's what I realized. I realized that I walk around in this weird thing and I don't really know how it works and why does it work here and not there. And yeah, um, so that's probably self-obsession. Always bring it back to self-obsession. Politics always comes back to my self-obsession, my self-obsession. Um, but yeah, so I think that was what, and, and also I was very interested in fluidity. Um, you know, like um, I've said that before and I feel like that, you know, there's... Um, if I'd been a braver person or felt like it was my story to tell or felt like it was my lane, um, you know, there would have been a lot more about ideas of gender fluidity in there as well. Um, feel like my biggest failing there is probably Dewey. For a lot of the time, Dewey had a... Dewey was represented by a they pronoun and I feel really angry at myself for quitting on that and um yeah and I worry now that it maybe sends a message sends the wrong message or not sends the wrong message but um I think it it opens up I think my cowardice to do that or my my creative failing because that's what it really came down to was that I, I had trouble wrangling that pronoun and um yeah in a way that I don't think I would now um and then also, you know, there was the massive, I just kept thinking, you know, is this, is this my lane? You know, is this my lane? And I just decided, no, it wasn't my lane. <laughs> I just decided that I could relate um, and had sort of lived the experience of um, sort of a butch persona. And um, um, I just wasn't sure that I could do justice to, um, I don't know why I use the word persona fuck am I going on about but you know what I mean like I mean you know like I've lived you know as a youngster I quite enjoyed um androgynous dressing and you know presenting um more as male but I just wasn't sure about the gender fluidity I wasn't sure that I could um do that experience justice anyway whoa that went in a way we didn't expect um I will leave that in um and um yeah I, I don't know. Um, anyway, I'm very grateful. Wow, <laughs> where am I going now? Um, yeah, I'm grateful for that question. And um, I'm very grateful for the incredible writers who are writing that experience and writing into that space. Um, and I just want to make room for them. Yeah. And that's kind of, I think that was another thought on my mind is that if I go there, you know, in a half-assed, um, you know, kind of... Um, way that doesn't understand yeah I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say I guess I just yeah I'm just very grateful for the writers writing into that space and um the work is that they're producing is just magnificent um yeah so thanks everybody I'm grateful to you right is there anything easy um 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 can we go back to Benjamin no we cannot um oh I think we're coming close to the end <laughs> Okay, this is the question I've been waiting to, I'm saving, I think I've saved it till the last. Yes, I have. I've saved this question till the last because I feel very uncomfortable about answering it. So um, this one is, how did you know when to pivot to Elodie? Where did she materialize from in your imagination? How did you know when and where to reveal Elodie is the PM's daughter? Uh, people, There are probably people that read this book that don't even know that. And and though I sort of know why I decided to reveal her 
um, in terms of your politics, that's my politics, but can you talk about the specific viciousness of the satirical intent? Ah, um, I am not that clever. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know. Okay, I'm going to start with the first question. I'll just take the first question for five. Um, how did you know when to pivot to LED? Where did she materialise from in your imagination? Okay, um, like I say, I always thought it was Carla that was going away and then there was a moment where suddenly Elodie was by herself and we were with Elodie and I suddenly thought, it's Elodie that goes away. Um, I feel like it's a really interesting decision though. It was a very interesting decision to make because, you know, do we let the photo shoot happen? There are a couple of versions where I wrote right to the photo shoot and the photo shoot goes off well and then Elodie leaves. Um, and then, you know, what time in the book, when in the book, and I guess my love of the, um, what's that great Jared Manley Hopkins um, poem, Dappled Things. Anyway, my love of kind of things that are um, <clears throat> sort of wrong, you know, things that are unbalanced or feel like they'll fail. I really liked the idea of, you know, that, that lack of satisfaction of hitting the actual crisis. You know, there, there's a crisis point, um, which is the shoot. Um, and I really liked the idea of undercutting that and just, you know, going to Elodie and like, um, you know, because, oh my gosh, love that movie, Psycho. You know, I love anything where we think we're going in one direction and then all of a sudden what was important becomes unimportant. Um, well, not unimportant, but what was important, I won't I won't let you see that. Like, I'm batting you away from that. And um, I find that, yeah, I love that sort of thing because, again, it feels like, you know, writer as puppet master and, you know, this idea of stakes, you know, it's like a high wire act with stakes, you know, like you're... Um, yeah, you're like, oh, I had you really worried about that. Now I'm going to take you away. Um, how am I going to make you satisfied? And um, yeah, so there was a lot of toing and froing around when to pivot to Elodie. Um, it's all. It was also extremely. Um, that's one thing. Oh, I wanted to say this because <laughs> it made me happy. Um, I went back and and plonked Elodie in several places. You know, like once I realised it was her, I sort of put in this. Um, it's like this other tendon that kind of goes through the rest of the work where um, I'm like, oh, we need her there and we need her there and I need her saying something about this and I need her sort of sleeping with this person and this person. And yeah, so there was all, you know, that was all post-engineered. What do you call it? Backward engineered. Like there was no way that led up. So yeah, those were all the sort of ideas. Where did she materialise from in your imagination? Um... I met someone, um, I thought they were incredible, I really liked being in their company, um, she gave me a lot of hope um, and I just had this sudden vision for, you know, like I hate this idea of generations, as everyone knows because I keep going on about it, but just this idea that there is this freshness bubbling up and this incredible intelligence and this incredible... Um, kind of way of seeing in the world that is coming through and I just wanted that to be there kind of like um um you know like those fishes that you see those tiny sort of slivers of gold that are in um mountains um yeah I I really liked the idea that it was possible to do that um with her that um yeah that there was a hopefulness and kind of um to be quite honest, sort of a, a slight, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a slight eccentricity, you know, a slight, 
you know, like a brand new way of looking at the world, not a way of that that sort of had some roots in absurdity, not not a way of looking at the world and thinking, oh, have you know, this apple is red, you know, just in a way of sort of thinking, this apple is the you know, the death of a tree or, you know, like I just really liked that there was this fresh way of looking and I think that's where she stems from in my imagination, um, you know, and, and of course becomes a um, collaboration of a lot of um, women that I met and yeah, just, yeah, so that's sort of where that comes from. I felt like the book was real, there was something really, I can only talk in colours, yeah, there was just something very grey and beige about the book before she came in and like all of a sudden she came in and it was like this pop of chartreuse if we should talk about Project Runway again I don't know uh, I, I think I was thinking like Kerry you know just that pop of light but yeah so that's kind of where she came from um so the whole Prime Minister's daughter thing is the first time Max Key was elected I remember um, he came on stage with his two children and these, and his wife obviously, um, and his two children were the two most interesting things I could find about him. Um, and one of them um, was wearing an All Blacks shirt, as I remember, and the other was wearing this unbelievably stylish, almost 1950s kind of outfit and had very white blonde hair I might be remembering wrong but I just I I just find this so interesting you know there are all sorts of things tied up in that man for me as a person and um and just yeah I just I just think that those two people give me hope in a way <laughs> like um you know that I disagreed with everything he said whereas um John Key's daughter's art I think is superb and wonderful and I think she's an incredibly wonderful person and you know is one of that sort of conglomerate of people that make up Elodie um I think she's just an amazing person um John Key's son also an incredible person um baffling at times for me um because I don't live that life so often baffling but um you know a, a talented musician I guess I don't know um I've heard other people say otherwise I probably shouldn't get into it but you know a person that is kind of living this life um obviously um I I don't know you know I, I'll go there possibly helped by privilege and you know uh, and just this wonderful thing I think especially um the um, boy um, was quite a massive um, motivation for Tommy in that way that it feels like a complete product of being loved you know like it keeps there is a certain way that privileged people love their kids I think I might be wrong but there's a certain way that rich people love their kids and um, I just feel like this confidence and exuberance comes so much from someone saying that they believe in you I could be completely wrong obviously but I just was quite obsessed with these two people um not in a scary stalk away but um so that's kind of where Elodie being the prime minister's daughter came in there's a massive problem of course because Elodie is a lot younger than this person that I'm talking about but I just love this idea that um what I remember about that set of events is that John Key's daughter went away to Paris to study so there was I found that very interesting this idea that um she did not want to be in this country while her father was prime minister and that 
I really liked that idea that maybe LED was sort of on the run from this reputation as well. Lake was sort of finding some weird kind of new way to not be that person as well. Yet also, I really liked the idea, like in a lot of ways, LED feels like a... Um, sort of has the colonial spirit and the pioneering spirit and is off to start a new world in a way, which seems like a very sort of, um, well, it seems like a very kind of political, as in capital P political, as in, you know, you know that weird thing in democracy where we vote once every four years and we think that's political. You know, it seems like this kind of political idea, this, and, you know, in that way that, um, you know, even I have to admit that, you know, that time that John Key spent in Parliament, um, he made sacrifices, you know, um, I I know, um, you know, he got a lot in return for that, but, you know, there is, it's a public service life, and um, so, yeah, there's all that kind of wrapped up in there, um, yeah, there's all that wrapped up in there, um, politically, I'm of an anarchistic bent, which I think, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know what that means um, to anyone else. I know that what it means to me is that I really think that there is a way of us living without power structures and I think there is a way of us living without bosses and without people in control of us. And yeah, so that was kind of wound up in there as well was, um, yeah, just all that. Sorry, I got all very serious. Um, Sorry. I feel quite serious about that. But like I say, I, I didn't want to push too hard on that simply because of the, there was a massive problem with, you know, because it takes so place so rootedly and rootedly, because mm, um, it takes place so concretely, that's not even a word, um, in a specific time in a specific place, I knew that to push too heavily on the idea that she was the Prime Minister's daughter would sort of open up can o worms and, yeah, so I just, I think that there's just that one line in there and it's there for interest of people. And what I really like as well is that that one line can, um, oh God, I think I'm over selling myself, but I feel like that one line can bring the rest of the book kind of into question. You know, it's kind of a slight little explosion that sort of goes, huh? You know, and it kind of sends shocks waves and waves in both directions. You know, suddenly, um, you know, Tommy is not, just sleeping with a person he's sleeping with the prime minister's daughter and you know the idea of the richness of that and then we have Carla also um sleeping with prime minister's daughter anyway sorry that's probably too much do you think I'll get done with this? anyway is that slanderous anyway sorry anyway uh oh okay just a second Okay, now this last book about um, can you talk about the specific viciousness of the satirical intent? Okay, right. I um on uh, this person. I think this is. I've got a feeling I know who this is. Um, and I'm very grateful because they always call me. They always call me. Um, because I wander around going, I love everyone. Everything's great. I would not be. And on, you know, I would probably deny this if anyone else was asking me. But the truth is, yeah, I mean, that is one of the things that I feel less proud about in the book is that I think it is too, it comes down too heavily. It's too heavy handed in some places. And um, so I am apparently an extremely sarcastic person. Um, I'm, I um, I love satire. I feel like it is a way to, um, 
yeah, like I feel like it is a way. There's so little power in this world that, um, you know, I really like the way that an intellectual power can somehow. Well, not that it makes change. I don't think satire makes change. Maybe it does. I don't know. But, you know, I just really like the idea that, you know, um, being funny can, um, yeah, can sort of bring things back into, can can take away power a little bit, you know, like can just take away a little bit of power, um, you know, which is I think why, and I guess it's about that idea of punching up. Um, but, you know, I guess this is why, and also, I often use humor to try and understand things, you know, like I'm often sort of thinking, hmm, you know, and so I'm not sure there was satirical intent. I think that it just came out. I think that um, my aim was to treat everyone equally, but of course, Carla and Dewey come out better because, you know, Carla's my age and Carla's me and all that sort of boring shit. And, um, but I... Yeah, I think that it just leaks out of me. Um, you know, I think I'm that kind of person. I'm a, I'm a nasty person in that, you know, like I'm always pushing things down and then they just leak out. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think anytime I've tried to write something, that, that's the other thing I will say about this is that um, things were dark, um, you know, in the years of writing this book. I think that um, now we forget how fucking terrible that time was and um you know and I think that it's just starting to be uncovered how fucking terrible that time was like we all thought it was fucking terrible and then um you know like oh my goodness they really were spying on us um and um oh my gosh they really were evicting people for um, made up science and you know it just starts to you know they were underfunding um teachers and they were underfunding um health and you know so I think that what I found during that time is that um, there was one thing that our Prime Minister of the time used to say a lot, which was, um, I can't remember how he used to phrase it, but he used to say something like, reasonable people would think this, a reasonable man. He would often call out to mum and dad. And um, I think that that time was an incredible time of feeling quite um, insecure about my grasp on reality you know I would think this isn't right is this right and then every you know the the prime minister and his ministers and all the parliament would say no it's fine don't worry about it you know any reasonable person would not be worried about this you know the whole um, another big thing that used to come out then was you know if you've got nothing to hide you shouldn't be worried and um yeah, so I think in a way what I noticed around that time is that I started becoming very interested in the didactic in fiction and um, I started to realise that, um, you know, because I think we'd always been told if we want to write politically we should tone it down, make it subtle, you know, don't go too, eh, you know, and I think that what I found at that time is that I could get more and more didactic in my work and it was still read. There was this weird kind of numbing that was taking place and I think that the end of that does come into the satirical intent. I think that when you're pushing so hard that yeah I think that there is viciousness in it there's absolute viciousness in it you know like um I I'm angry a lot of the time there you go it's hard to hard to admit um but yeah it's probably no surprise to anyone except myself um but yeah I just think that 
that's what I think is also in this book is the fact that um you know I was writing a little bit of short fiction during that time and um you know I wrote one I wrote um, a short story which was about zero hours and then I wrote a short story which was about being homeless and um you know again like stridently well the zero hours one I have been under contracts like that so I guess I was sort of still in my lane but and yeah um, I've had many a night without a house but I just think that um yeah those just felt so heavy-handed when I wrote them and I just thought I think we can do this now I think we have to I think what actually happened was I thought to myself we have to start actually calling everything what it is and um but then when I submitted it the person was like yep sounds good and then people would talk to me about their work and say it was subtle and I just think oh so I think there is there is a viciousness and there is a satirical intent of sorts um I think that um I feel really unhappy there are lots of things I feel unhappy about but one of the things I feel most unhappy about is that so few people have so much and need more and um yeah just this idea of capitalism that it has to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and um yeah it makes me sad and I guess one of the few things I can do about that is um yeah say mean things <laughs> that's not even what satire is is it say mean things okay I've run out of questions I'm sure you're glad that took a bit too long didn't it so I'm gonna go back and edit it now yay and um yeah I'm sorry if it was jumpy and thank you for the questions and thank you for listening and thank you for reading the book and um happy writing to everybody and happy reading to everybody and yeah thanks heaps oh I might just wait till my dog stops <coughs>